Three, two, one. What was your faith like before? My faith in my early adult years was non-existent. I really didn't have a relationship with the Lord. I realized that I wasn't in control. I got on my knees and asked God for, for peace and grace and felt this incredible presence. I remember going through that whole process um, where I just had this sense of peace. Well, today we are beginning this brand new message series we're calling Rebuilt Faith. And as we start off the series, we want to talk about just making sure we make the main thing the main thing. And when it comes to the Catholic Church, it can be easy for us to lose sight of the main thing because there's just so much that goes on in the church. I mean, we have 2,000 years of tradition of saints and scholars reflecting on the faith. Um, and there's just so much as a, as a church that we do. I mean, we have, there's Catholic hospitals and you got Catholic schools, you know, Catholic colleges and universities and high schools and Catholic elementary schools. And there's just so much that goes on at, in the diocese. I mean, you have all these diocesan offices. you got Catholic charities. So it can just easy, be easy to lose sight of what the main thing is. And I look at that just even in our, our parish. Uh, there's just so much that goes on. I mean, we have, you know, the cafe where there's coffee and donuts and pizza. And then, you know, we got the kids wing and we got a ping pong table. And then just the stuff in this room, we got cameras and audio and video board. And we got a fog machine and we got lights and we got lasers. All right, we don't have lasers. <laughs> Not yet. We're working on it now. I don't know about the lasers. But anyway, you know, there's just, there's just a lot. So we got to always come back to making sure the main thing is the main thing. And um, I was kind of reminded about the importance of keeping the main thing, the main thing, and the mission front and center this past summer when I went on a trip with my son, Nate. Uh, Nate's graduating from high school this year. So we were looking at, at colleges and universities, and we went on a trip, and we're looking at a bunch of different schools. And you know, it's kind of interesting I noticed this. If any of you are in this season, maybe you've noticed this too. Um, that they use some of the same jokes on these tours. So, for example, um, we're on the tour, and at one point, at a couple different places, they say, well, there's the dining hall, and the, milk the milkshake machine, unlike McDonald's, it works. And, like, people laughed, or they didn't really laugh, like you're not. Um, and, then, and then another joke they had would be, like, at the end of the tour, they kind of gather you together and say, hey, we appreciate if you do an evaluation of the tour, and the, the, the person would be like, and if you like the tour, my name is Jen. And if you didn't like the tour, and then they would hide their name tag, my name is Jill, right? They would make up a name, right? And then, again, people didn't laugh, just like you didn't laugh. But it was supposed to be funny. So in any case, we are um, on this, at this one university, and I won't name it. But we're at this one university, and we're doing the tour. And I am amazed by the young woman doing the tour. I mean, she's really poised, really good. Um, and the depth of her knowledge is unbelievable. I mean, she's talking about 
the, the classrooms and the build, you know, in the building, and what classes meet in there, what majors will meet in there, and then you know she's talking about the dining hall and the hours it's open, and if you're you're vegan or whatever your kind of your 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 food you need diet wise, you can get it in that in that uh, you know in that dining hall, then the residence halls and what they're like. I mean, I'm like I'm thinking I don't know this much about anything as much as she knows about this university. And then at a certain point, we come to, we're in the rec center, and there's the seal. So we're like standing on it, and there's the motto. And she's talking, and I look down, and I look at the motto, and it says this, ex libertata veritas. And I'm trying to like, all right, that's Latin. What does it mean? I took Latin in college. I barely passed by the end. And so I'm like, is it out of truth, liberty, out of liberty, truth? Like I'm trying to figure it out, and all this is going on in my mind. And she, she's still talking about the rec, the rec place there. And, and then I'm like, well, in vino veritas, and wine truths. So I, I, I'm, I'm like trying to, like all this is going on in my mind. But then as we walk away from, from the seal, I turn her. I said, hey, can you tell me what the motto is of the school? She's like, I don't know. <laughs> I take in Latin in high school, but I'm not sure what it says. And I'm like, Oh, okay, thanks. And then she walks away, and I turn to my son, Nate. I'm like, how could they have not told her what the motto is? Like, like someone has gone to a lot of energy and effort to write this script and to train, but they didn't, you know, whoever was in charge of this didn't teach her what the motto stands for. I'm like, how is that possible? And I get worked up because I'm, like, I'm weird, I'm like this. And my son, Nate's like, don't embarrass me, don't embarrass me. And I'm like, I'm not, I won't. But, like, I keep talking to him about it, and, and I'm like, Nate, like, to start this school, I can't imagine the energy and the effort it took to get this thing going. And at a certain point, they chose that model to be like the mission and the purpose of this university. And, you know, I can't believe it's not known now. And so I'm thinking all that. Then it kind of dawns on me, well, that could happen at Nativity. That could happen in, in an organization I helped to lead, that we could be doing all these things and have all, you know, all this stuff going on, but people forget what the main thing is. And so just today as we start out the series, let me just say what the main thing is, that it's all about the person of Jesus Christ, that all the energy and effort and the blood and the sweat and the tears that our volunteers, our awesome volunteers put in here and our staff puts into this place and why we gather as a community it is all about the person of Jesus Christ. It is all about coming to know him, to love him, to serve him, to become like him, to become Christ-like in our, our conduct and our character and our convictions, right? And about helping people who don't know about the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ to come into a relationship with him. That's it. That's the main thing. And, you know, and if in, the, in the last, you know, in this, in this season, a lot of people have walked away from the church, and, and I get they walk away from the Catholic church because of problems or, or people that have, have driven them away, and, and I get it. I'm sure if, if that's you today and you, you're here, you came back and are given it a second chance, I'm glad you're back, and I get it. You, you, you have probably very legitimate reasons for leaving the church, but here's what I would say to anybody who thinks about leaving the church because of problems or people don't let them drive you away from the person of Jesus Christ. He's the main thing. Now, for some people here, you're here today and you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't know about following Jesus. I, I'm not sure he's all that compelling. And, and maybe you wouldn't even say it this way because you wouldn't want to be disrespectful, but you might even say that 
At times you find kind of Jesus, again, boring, or you're not even sure he's anyone you want to follow. Right? And, and I think somewhat that's our fault as a church. I don't know. I look at some of the you know, religious art or religious paintings, and often they're like of this sweet, saccharine-like Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know I'd follow that, that Jesus either if I thought that's who Jesus was. You know, and, and so sometimes it's the way we portray Jesus. Sometimes there's a problems in larger culture about how Jesus is portrayed, and that kind of gets into our thinking and feeling about Jesus. Uh, many years ago, there was a movie, I'm kind of dating myself, Dogma, that was out, and there was the idea of this buddy Christ. And in, in some ways, I thought it was kind of funny at the time, because I think there are times, again, the church tries to portray Jesus like this buddy. He's her friend. He's... Buddy, like, gets into too much, like, soft and, you know, but anyway, there was that, I, you know, so maybe that's kind of your idea of Jesus, or uh, I used to show on confirmation retreats a South Park episode in which uh, Jesus boxes the devil, and I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, again, really long time ago, but in that, again, Jesus looks like this very unconfident guy, unsure of himself, and he's, he's weak, and he's wimpy, and he's not all that bright, and so I think times that gets into people's thinking about Jesus. And, and so here's just what I want to know. If you have any of those kind of feelings about Jesus, about being boring or not being compelling or not sure he's someone worth following, that those don't align with the real Jesus and what the Gospels tell us about Jesus. Because Jesus is and was compelling. And, pe- and people had all kinds of different reactions to Jesus. I mean, they, I mean, some people met Jesus and they got ticked off. They were mad. They were angry. Other people, when they met Jesus, they were b- b- bewildered and p- perplexed. You know, others fell down and worshipped him. But nobody, nobody was ever bored by the person of Jesus Christ. And so... As we start this series off, we want to just come back to becoming more reacquainted or acquainted with the the person of Jesus that is revealed in the Gospels. And so today we're going to look at a passage from Mark. Uh, We read it from it earlier. And look at some of these characteristics of Jesus that remind us of his compelling nature. Now, I love the Gospel of Mark. It's my favorite Gospel. Um, Actually, my daughter was asking, what's your favorite book of the Bible the other day? I said, I think Mark is my favorite book. Uh, I love it. It's the shortest of the Gospels. Maybe that's why. But also because I love the way, again, we see Jesus is compelling. We see his leadership gifts, and we see he's a man of action. And so here's what we read from earlier today. A leper came to Jesus and kneeling down begged him and said, If you wish, you can make me clean. Now, of all the diseases you could suffer from in, in the first century A.D., leprosy was the worst. First of all, it, it was so bad because of the physical ailments. You, you would have open sores. There would become facial disfigurement. You wouldn't look good. Um, so you'd have open sores and pain from that. Uh, you could start to lose your appendages, your, your fingers, your toes. Even limbs could fall off with leprosy. So just the, the physical pain and suffering was bad enough. But then in addition to that, you became a social outcast, Right? You, couldn't, you had to get away from the society, and you were a religious outcast. That reading from Leviticus that we read a while back, said this, or earlier this, this, this morning, said this, The one who bears the sore of leprosy shall keep his garments rent and his head bare, and shall muffle his beard. He shall cry out, unclean, unclean. And then he shall dwell apart, making his abode outside the camp. 
So again, people who were suffering from leprosy they had to yell and scream and unclean and unclean, don't come near me. And they had to live outside the camp. They had to live apart from society. Now that law seems a bit unkind, and it, it is, but it was meant to protect people, right? So that the, the spread of the disease, the spread of evil would not continue. And this is the limit of the law. The law is good, but it is limited. It cannot heal people. It can only stop the spread of evil. And so that was why the law was there. So this leper comes up to Jesus, this being his situation, and he begged him and said, if you wish, you can make me clean. Jesus, you can change my situation if it is your will. Then the next verse tells us, moved with pity. Moved with pity. Moved with compassion. And, and the kind of a, a original Greek would have been like, just deep in his gut. Jesus is moved with pity. He is moved with compassion for the leper. And see, this is the kind of one of the first insights into Jesus' character from this passage. We see that he has compassion, compassionate care. And so whatever illness or sickness you are going through right now, or illness if you have one right now, know that Jesus has compassion and care for you. Right? If, if, if like the leper, you feel right now like you are an outcast, like you're not into the in crowd, or you, you, you're, you're, outs- you're an outsider, Jesus has care and compassion for you. Whatever uncleanness you might have in your life and in your heart and your soul, right? Jesus has compar- compassion for you. Right? I think sometimes, again, we, you know, we, there's things in our heart that are just not good, unclean. We have sins, those, those sins we fall back into again and again. Or maybe you think you've made progress on something and, and then there, all of a sudden there's this regression. You're like, oh my gosh, I just can't seem to get over this thing. Or there's things in our hearts at times you're like, ugh, that's ugly. I don't like that in my heart. Right? Or thoughts we have are like, if, if anybody else knew that thought, they'd be disgusted by me. Well, Jesus has care for you. Compassionate care. So while other people have looked upon the leper with disgust, Jesus looks with compassion upon him. And then he stretched out his hand and touched him. Now this is no small thing, right? This leper, again, forever how long he was dealing with leprosy, and we don't know if it days or you know, probably, probably weeks or months, it could have been years, would not have known human touch, right? He had to scream and tell people, don't, don't come near me so, unless you catch it. So he would not have known touch. Jesus touches him because he knows that's what the leper needs. Right? Human beings, we need touch, whether it's a handshake, a pat on the back, a hug. Right? We need that touch. Jesus knows what you need in whatever condition you're in. Here he knows the leper needs touch and said to him, I will do it. Be made clean. And then, immediately, the leprosy left him immediately, and he was made clean. You know, it's good for us to have friends who are compassionate upon us in our, in our, in our trials and our struggles and our pain. But it's also nice to have a friend who can do something about it. And so Jesus not only has care for you in your struggles, he has competency to help you in those moments. 
He is competent. He is able to, to heal us or give us whatever we need when we're struggling and need help. Just like that, the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And then we're told, warning him sternly, he dismissed him at once. He said to him, see that you tell no one anything, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses prescribed. That will be proof for them. All right, so Jesus tells the leper, don't tell anyone else about this. Well, that's not quite right. He says, don't tell, the, tell anyone but the priest. And the reason he tells him to go to the priest is because, um, again, he was a, if they went to the priest, the priest could restore them to the religious worship and restore a leper from society, back to society. So Jesus is saying, hey, go back to the priest so you can get your life back. But, you know, why, why does he tell them not to tell anybody else? Well, there's two reasons. One is kind of known in, you know, theological circles or scripture scholars will talk about is the messianic secret. And so the messianic secret was, the, was this idea that Jesus wanted to slowly over time unveil that he was the Messiah, that he was the savior of the world, and that he wanted to let that go like at a pace that people could accept. And I think that's true for us, that Jesus over time unveils that he's the Messiah, that he is our savior. So that was one reason. But there's also a more practical reason that Jesus did not want the leper to tell anyone else about this healing. And we see it in the next verse. It says this, The man went away and began to publicize the whole matter. He spread the report abroad so that it was impossible for Jesus to enter a town openly. So part of the reason Jesus doesn't want the leper to tell anyone else is because it's just be better for him, for Jesus. Like, he, it's, it's going to make his life really inconvenient if he spreads the word to everybody. But unfortunately, the leper doesn't listen. And so here we see a characteristic of Jesus as well. Not only is he compassionate, not only is he competent, but he's generous. Jesus knew the leper might not listen to him. He knew this might be inconvenient. He he knew it might cause him more problems. And yet, he heals the leper anyway. He gives him his life back. Then the passage concludes in this way. He remained outside in desert places, and people kept coming to him from everywhere. So we see from this uh, encounter with the leper, this great reversal, this great exchange. Before the encounter, the leper is out in the desert places. He's not free to be a participant in society. He's an outsider. And Jesus, before this encounter, is able to move about in society for free- freely. But then there's this great exchange. right? The leper now has his life back, and he can move throughout the town and live his life and live in community with other people. But Jesus has to go out into the desert places. He's become so famous, and this can be a downside to fame, that he's become so famous he can't have any time alone. And so he has to go out to the desert places. And see, this is what we will see about a relationship with Jesus. There's this beautiful exchange That whatever we give and bring to him, he blesses us, and we get more in return. 
That's why we follow Jesus. Because there is this beautiful exchange in every, time, every encounter with Jesus in which we are blessed and we get more than we ever give to him. So over the next five weeks of this series, we're going to look at five key steps of growing closer to Jesus. And in which we do give something to Jesus. And in exchange, he gives us something even more. Something beautiful. So over the series, we're going to look at, first of all, serving. That as we serve and give time to Jesus and serving him and his purposes in exchange, he helps us to know that our lives matter and he gives us a sense of purpose. Then we're going to talk about tithing and giving. And as we give back to God what he has already given to us, we come to know God's provision in a profound way. It's a beautiful exchange. Then we're going to talk about engaging in Christian community. That as we give some of our time to, to be in, in, in community with other, other Christ followers, in exchange, we see some of our burdens lifted. We're talking about practicing prayer and sacraments. That as we give time to, to Jesus in prayer, we come to know God more intimately. And then, finally, sharing our faith. That as, as we share what God has done in our lives with people who don't yet have a relationship with Christ, we come to a deeper and greater appreciation of God's goodness and faithfulness to us. So that's what we'll be talking about over the next five weeks. So there's three commitments we want to encourage you to make for this series. And the first commitment is to join us here on Ridgely Road or online and just hear the weekend messages. Second commitment is to read our book, Rebuilt Faith. Uh, if you haven't gotten a copy of that yet, uh, you can pick it up. Or you can get it on Amazon, or for those of you in person, you can stop by our, the cafe, and they have it available there. And so here's the commitment with the book. It's gonna, it, we want you to read it every day, starting tomorrow, starting tomorrow, February 12th. Start reading the book, and it's just eight minutes a day. That's it. Read eight minutes a day, and choose a time that's going to work for you. Maybe you're a morning person, and so first thing you do is you get up in the morning, and with your coffee... You read, you read the book. Or maybe you're, it's lunchtime. You'd like to get away, take a little break at lunch, get away from everybody else, and that will work for you. Maybe it's when, when you come home in the evening or right after dinner, that's a good time that works for you. Instead of like, you know, throwing on YouTube channel stuff or, you know, getting on social media, you read the book first. Or maybe you put it by your bedside. And that's where right before you go to bed at night, you read rebuilt faith there. But take eight minutes a day through the season of Lent, all right, beginning tomorrow, to start reading the book. And the third commitment, if you signed up for a small group, make sure you keep that commitment to be in the group, to show up to your small group. Because this is our vision and our hope for the series, that all of these things are going to come together. That as you hear the weekend message, that as you read on a daily basis and you have these conversations with your small group, it's all going to come together in a kind of very profound way, and things are going to click, and, be, and, and it's going to take you to a new level in your relationship with Christ. So as I wrap up today, we're just going to close in prayer in a second, in a moment. But before doing that, I just want to give this as an opportunity for us, uh, for, for what my friend of mine calls sometimes like a, you know, a stake-in-the-ground moment. That maybe today as I was speaking, and, and you wouldn't say you had a personal relationship with Christ, but maybe today is the day where 
you just pray that and confess that, right? And for the, for, maybe you already would say, hey, I have a relationship with Christ, but for this land, I want to renew it. I want to refresh it. I want to rebuild it. That I want to, I want to go deeper into my relationship with you, Jesus, through this, through this season of Lent. So we're going to pray for that right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that while we were still sinners, you sent your son, Jesus, to die for us. And right now, Jesus, we confess it's all about you. And that we want a relationship with you. We want an ever-deepening relationship with you. That, as you said to the apostles, that, that you wouldn't call us servants, but that you would call us your friend because we know what you're doing and what you are up to. That we can be friends with you, Jesus, who is the most high. And so through this season of Lent, when we come to that deeper relationship with you, Jesus, as we take each of these steps of faith, may it draw closer to you so that we may become more like you, Jesus, in our conduct, our conviction, and in our character. We make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks so much for watching. Hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single video. You can be a part of our mission to love God, love others, and make disciples simply by sharing this video. We are so grateful you are a part of this community.